Welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads, and we currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV. My portion of the podcast is being recorded in that RV right now as we speak. This is my mobile office. I want to make sure that you stay around to the end of the podcast because we will include ways that you can continue the conversation that we're going to start today by connecting with us directly. Today, I have Mark M.J. Jackson as our guest, and I'm excited about this for so many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that Mark and I have been friends and worked in business for now 25 plus years, so we're going to have such fun having this conversation. Let me read some bio stuff, though, for you. He's the founder of Investor Comps, where he has become the go-to real estate valuation coach for investors in the U.S. and worldwide. Investor Comps is a resource for real estate valuation training and data. We'll be talking about that some. He is also an avid golfer, traveled and played golf at some of the most exclusive courses in the world. He is a mighty man of faith, and there's a lot of things we're going to discuss there. Plus, this is probably what I may want to discuss as much as anything. He competes in the Ironman competitions, and he has a new book that is soon to be released called Arise to Live. And again, we've known each other. We've been buddies forever. Mark, MJ, Jackson, welcome to the Seek Go Create podcast. Tim, this is a joy and a pleasure. Thank you so very much for itching out a little space in your schedule for me to be part of Seek Go Create. Thank you so very, very much. Great to be here. All right, I've got a question that I like to put people on the spot right as we're getting started. I, I read, and you know, you and I talked about bio and all earlier before we push record, and all of our bio sounds awesome and all of that, but what I'd love for you to do for the audience is just give us your quick 10, 15, 20 second elevator pitch. What do you do? Well, you know, after being a, a, a husband, a dad, a grandfather, sibling, those things are just so important to who we are as individuals. After that, I just get great joy that found through this thing called real estate, my purpose, this uh, identifying that valuation makes such a significant difference in real estate transactions. It's benefited not only me, but clients that we've served across the United States and domestically. And really the work is just play now and has been for a number of years. So love the personal side of family engaging and uh, doing men's ministry, all kind of really good stuff, but be able to find that thing that literally I get up each and every day and I'm excited to go do has been a significant blessing. And that's taking a valuation first approach to single family residential real estate. Yeah. And that's we're and we'll talk about that because what that's done for you is it's opened up so many doors for you to do all that you've done. So, but, you know, before I, I really get into things, kind of this time that we're in, I just want to ask, how, how are you? How's the family? Yeah. How's everybody doing? You know, everybody well and, yeah. and just how, how are you? We're fortunate. I mean, we've got a blended family of five children. They're spread all across from New York State to Seattle to Oklahoma City, Charlotte, North Carolina. All of the children are great. The grandchildren are doing well. Uh, both of, uh, we, we both have still have our mom, so they're doing very well. Uh, overall, we couldn't be a better place. Uh, yesterday, I, I have to admit, I broke the rules uh, where I live. We're, we are on a voluntary kind of stay at home. And the wife and I got in the car and we went to go find the, the Bonneville Soft Flats out in Utah. We didn't get 
all the way to them. It, it's actually a lot of land in Utah, in case nobody knows. <laughs> a lot of government land, too. A lot of land that's nothing on it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but a beautiful landscape. We, we got out to the edge of it, took some pictures, and turned around and came back and kind of resumed. So all in all, Tim, wonderfully uh, well, healthy, and just excited to have the opportunity to care and share today with you, without a doubt. Yeah, that's going to be fun. And those salt flats are awesome. You may have heard me encourage you to go take a look at them. And so, yeah, you've got to drive way on out there for that. And listen, I don't... You were on our minds when we were making that trek. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I, and you know what I hope? I know we're in a, a odd time. We're recording this, obviously, in spring of 2020, where a lot of people are on stay-at-home lockdown. There's been a, a lot of tough things going on and we may actually try to project out what that means for real estate and some other things because i know you've got expertise in that area but listen i would hope that no one would get on to you for just getting in your car and venturing out with you and your wife for for a few hours just to get out to me that that seems to fit y'all probably truthfully where you went y'all didn't see a soul did you no <laughs> no, y'all were y'all were going beyond social distancing. Y'all were like isolating big exactly. time where you were out there, right? There was so. some physical distance between us and anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyway, we're good. Well, glad to hear that. Glad to hear that you guys are well. And I do want to come back because we're going to have some good real estate discussions. But I, I want to back up. I like to give people story. I think this is kind of cool. Yeah. You and I both were working, I believe, corporate gigs 25 plus years ago in the outskirts of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And we bumped into each other, did a little business together then. And then we split off for a few years, came back together, did a little bit more to help each other. And over the years, I've helped you some. You've helped me a great deal and vice versa. You remember that lunch we had 20 something years ago? Schlotsky's Deli. You remember that too. Good job. <laughs> You know what? I, I don't think, you know, there's so many things in the world that I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I know you're the same way. I don't know that I grasped at the time because we were doing a lot of stuff. What a great friendship that you and I would develop over the years. Sure, sure. It, it's special, Tim. I mean, even, I mean, there's, there's so many little stories, even, you know, Joshua doing the Uncle Mark and, and then the progressions <laughs> that, that take place from there. So, it's it's been a wonderful friendship and the blessing of it is there's so much more to experience as well yeah that's good yeah the, the story there is that is that uh my my wife glory had a a sibling mark that passed away when she was young uh, she was eight and he was five and so our young young son joshua who had always heard us talk about Mark, all of a sudden Mark, we call him MJ at times and Mark. So during the course of this podcast, you're going to hear me call him both because I knew him as Mark. He became MJ. Now he does both anyway. I knew him before he was famous. Maybe that's the way I should say it. But uh, but Mark would come over to the house and we would hang out and, and you know, and we... Um, we are we are similar in color, but maybe wouldn't be exactly the same color. But anyway, our son Joshua <laughs> said, "Hey, is that Uncle Mark that y'all talk about so much?" <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, that that just maybe just shows the love that we have. So anyway, exactly. I'm glad to have you on here. So, all right. So what I want to do, I want to dive in right now mm -hmm. to to real estate, and I want us to really talk about some things. Sure. 
And before I go back, and I want to get your history, because I do want to, I want to go through how you've come to be what I consider the expert that you currently are. But what I want to ask you is that here we are in spring of 2020. There are a number of things going on. and, And for most things, Mark, there are question marks. However, you and I experienced a downturn in 2000-ish. Yeah. We experienced one in 2008. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you could just tell us right as we're getting going here about some things that you think, and listen, things could change. We're not going to hold you to any of this, but sure. what do you what do you think the current status is and maybe even project out and, you know, 90, 120, 12 months down the road, just so yeah. some people might can get some insight from someone who's got your wisdom. Well, this is, I look, this is what I'm really focused on right now. And I'm I'm looking at it as a six to essentially probably 12 months out. And the one caveat is we realize that there's any number of uh, families, uh, singles, partners, spouse, whatever it can be, that have mortgages on single family residential homes. And overwhelmingly, while there's been some laxing, we've seen uh, commercials from the major banks, Quicken, Rocket Mortgage, stuff like that. Uh, that have said, look, you know, we want to work with you. And they even have gone so far to say, uh, we will provide a means just so that you can, I'm so sorry, I've got a little alarm going off on the old Apple watch there. Time to do some push-ups, but I'll put those off. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to let you do your push-ups. We're on a podcast right now. Stop it. Right now. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's, you know, a, the ability to push back some payments maybe for 30 60 90 days and we realize all that's going to do is either move to the back of the loan or have to be caught up well that's not going to be a significant enough uh fix or lax or space when it comes to maintaining those mortgages and people to maintain their homes when in fact at present based on reporting we've got about 30 million jobs that have left the american economy and those 30 million jobs are not going to come back as swiftly as they vacated. Uh, that in itself is what I'm going to keep my pulse on, the people that I engage with and work with to help them be in that space. Because where crisis happens, opportunity comes out on the other side of that. And so from evaluation first approach, having been an appraiser and continue to support people by the use of investor comps, looking at property reports in all the major markets in the country, as we track uh, 30, 60, 90 day lates and some of the things we do in the real estate business to look for those opportunities that come available, valuating them to bring them on right, making sure we make a profit when we buy is gonna be the thing that I'm focused on now based on what's happening in the markets and what we're being looking for in the next six to 12 months. Yeah, so I just I just got off the phone. I had a had a call with a client that I work with, and some is he he's in different business, not in real estate, but he owns a few properties. Okay, and and I'm going to ask you maybe very specifically. He had two properties that he's in the process of finishing up renovations, and was kind of asking. He was doing them as a fix and flip. Yeah. So that's that's situation number one. I'm going to ask you your thoughts and opinions on that, and I'll yep. tell you what I told him. Uh, that. And then secondly, he was saying, do you think it's time to start buying real estate? So take those two questions and let's give this guy a little bit of advice. Cause I think that's going through a lot of people's minds right now. They're thinking, oh man, the economy's tanking. 
it's time to buy some real estate. And I think I just heard you say something differently. Go ahead, share with us. Well, I think one thing that's going to happen right now for anybody that acquired a piece of property that was, you know, in, in the earlier part of 2020 with the intent that they're going to remarket it again, all, always boils down to what was their acquisition point? How much capital have they had to deploy in that unit and how much room do they give themselves to be able to adjust in the event that something happened? So my first thing would be look at the numbers and really see where you can test the market as far as pricing is concerned. But in particular, here's the thing that I've seen is that there's a number of buyers in the younger Gen Y and then older Gen X that are, I'm not doing pod share anymore. I'm not doing rooming anymore. I need a residence of my own. And they have good capital. They've been practicing working in the fire community. So overwhelmingly, they're poised to do a transaction. And that may be something that this associate may be able to position themselves for success. But I would simultaneously be prepared to transition that unit from what, what was referred to as a fix and flip, kind of a, a turn, and position mm -hmm. themselves as a long-term hold. Go ahead, maybe look at putting some leverage in there. Money is very, very cheap right now and allow that unit to earn income because in the marketplace, especially now, while real estate's really probably still gonna be pretty stable, we're not talking about a mortgage crisis, we're talking about a, a, a health dynamic that imp impacted the marketplace. Uh, prices are probably, no guarantee, probably gonna stay pretty steady. Definitely rents are. So that can be a long-term hold, actually wind up being part of a wealth portfolio that's where um, I would say just on the first side of that question. Now, what was the second part? <laughs> the second part was, is this seems like a great time to pick up real estate if things are tanking. And you just commented about that this is actually not an immediate, but give some advice there. If someone comes to you and says, hey, this is the time to buy real estate right now. Now, there's always times to, sure. but if they think that this is a bottom of a market or it's a real trough, what would you tell them? So overwhelmingly, definitely look for the opportunity where maybe it's just gotten slow, whether it's on the retail side, even wholesalers. I can tell you, we recently acquired a, a 26 doors, 13 duplexes from a uh, lead that basically literally five weeks ago wanted almost 40% more and somehow, some way, they've uh, modified their price. So it makes sense for us on the number side. We've actually didn't even come up. We just basically stayed where we were because taking evaluation first approach gives you a point where you're not emotionally attached to a property. You know what your numbers are. And if they fit, then great. If not, you can move on. And so this individual basically positioned themselves where it made sense for both of us to move forward. So if there's opportunities that have been sitting on the sideline, now they very well may come back. As far as new inventory, I would just kind of sit and wait and see what happens. It's really too soon to really start mm -hmm. looking at new inventory that's coming to the market because we just don't know where the prices are gonna be. And that's what I'm doing and what I recommend. We're, we're real early in on this thing based on the time we're doing this recording and having this conversation. So uh, just just be patient because that patience can yeah. pay off substantially. Yeah. So so related to that, 
one of the things that I was so impressed with you and the way you and your businesses handled it. And I've, I've shared the situations I went through in 2008 with real estate. We were both in the real estate arena. We both had a lot going on heading into 2007, eight and nine. And I'm not going to say it was easy. However, you did come through it. You survived. What are some lessons that you learned during that time that may or may not apply, or we may not even know mm-hmm. that, that, that you, and I know also that you've got events that you do with people. And I think we're recording this and there's one that's going to be missed, but I know you do them all the time, but mm-hmm. what are you going to be telling people at, at, at this event that you've got that you learn from 08 right. that you see happening with what we're looking at right now? What's well, um, in, in regards to what happened in 08, um, I think that's what, what really qualifies a different type of answer on this is that it wasn't the mortgage crisis or the things that happened as far as finances that impacted us. We were doing a lease option model acquisition and release of property. And the county in which we had about 42 houses um, lost its school district accreditation. So here we are in a model where, yes, we're helping people that may be a little bit credit challenged, do lease options, not really working with the banks right up front, but still they want to buy somewhere where their kids can apply to college after they graduate. And that yeah. just went away. I know, the, I know the market you're talking about in the south side of Atlanta, and yeah. that is a difficult thing when you're trying to get families to move into places that the school's not accredited. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a deal breaker, I can assure you. So... Taking a we can laugh about it now. We can laugh no, about it now. But it was not funny. Yeah, it was painful <laughs> back then. But yeah. the dynamic that we never over leveraged our properties for a situation where we had good partners working with us, we could actually take the numbers that we were currently in in those deals and move them over to a long term hold scenario where the market rents, whether they would be uh, individual families that just basically wanted to rent our properties or as we also alternatively engage with the local housing authority and we're bringing in some more secured income to those properties, it, 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 it was a struggle because we, had, we were making a shift in a business that we really weren't anticipating having to go into. But within about 60 days, we could get that process going and really didn't have any significant bleeding in the process. So that was really, really good. So I talk about now where Literally back in 2016, our business model, Tim, we pulled back from doing what would be referred to as a flip. Those get it, fix it up, sell it because there's cheap money out there. Folks are ready to buy, so on and so forth. I could already see that between days on market and the softening on prices, that the flip model in a number of markets across the country just wasn't sustainable. So we transitioned from essentially 90% flip to 90 some odd percent long-term hold. I only have one project right now that we're just basically pouring the driveway on and it's going to be ready to go to market. Again, we're in a great position financially. If we need to adjust price, we can. Um, That's the main thing. You just don't know what's going to come up. That's going to be an event like this uh, COVID that has impacted you. So knowing that you've got a position where you can always transition 
and not just have one exit strategy on a property, it's really going to make a difference, whether it's single family, duplex, quadruplex, whatever the case may be. Um, because you have individuals where we've done units where, hey, own and live in one unit and rent the rest for your income. But overwhelmingly, it may be that you don't have anyone that wants to buy and live in it. So you've got to be able to do more than one strategy on those single family assets. And that's what's really helped us benefit and can easily be applied to what's happening today as well. Right. So flexibility is key. And I also want to maybe just to establish, I, I didn't even bring this up earlier, but but you do not operate in one market only. <laughs> and you have a very good grasp of really not just America, even North America, but you've done things around the world. First of all, talk about some of the markets that you have experience with here in the States and then talk about some of the global things you've done. And then sure. I'll just go ahead and give you a glimpse. I'm going to back up and I'm going to have us, we're going to kind of talk about the history of investor comps and how it came to be. But right now, give us some, a feel for the markets that you do sure. business in. Sure. Well, I, I started my real estate appraisal career in the Metro Atlanta area, working with loan officers, which then expanded to working with investors and those individuals that were actually doing some of these flips and so on and so forth back in 1999, 2000, 2001. And what I saw as an appraiser is that unlike the loan officers where they only got paid if they made a commission, I usually always got paid because I was getting compensated right at the time of doing the appraisal. Uh, same thing with working with the investors. The challenge was once I started making these investors, well, they were making just amazing sums. Um, and I was making $650 per an appraisal. Now, they couldn't do what they were doing without the valuation piece. And that's when I realized I had to become an investor as well. Uh, even early on, you and I did some transactions together, which wound up being quite fruitful. But it was actually working and seeing uh, over about 20 some odd counties in Metro Atlanta that even there were nuances to each one of those different market areas. Well, because I also had a relationship with City Asset Best West, which was handling all of the HUD FHA foreclosure properties, we had a chance to work with them to go down to Dothan, Alabama, go to Montgomery, Alabama, different market areas outside of Alabama, outside of Georgia. And so I had a number of appraisers that lived in different areas and I supervised and guided them. So it took me to markets outside the state of Georgia, different laws, different um, agricultural, different type of educating work settings. And it gave me a different perspective to look at rather than what I was accustomed to just in hard pushing, almost East Coast style Metro Atlanta. Well, of course, I couldn't satisfy with just being Alabama. I wound up actually going into South Carolina all the way up to the Greensboro market, about an hour and 40 minutes outside. But Great opportunity to see another market area. Well, during that time frame of building that appraisal business, uh, had my son join the Air Force and he went off to Japan. So we were fortunate to expand our family, have a grandchild. So we went to go see the grandchild. And while I was there, uh, met a gentleman in the financial district that was the Minister of Finance for Jakarta, Indonesia. We got to having a chat. And so I actually had an opportunity to write evaluation synopsis, kind of like an op-ed based on how people see the values of their home 
even in an area that is a ring of fire with earthquakes and volcanoes. Mm -hmm. And ironically, discovering that you want, you know, it was bet people have placed more value to have their home closer to the volcano than away from it. Now, I'm not that that was just a culture. I'm not saying that I, I identify with that. I'm just saying discovering so those dynamics is real special. Well, not long after that, <laughs> I had some clients from uh, Europe, Italy, that were came to a training and speaking engagement I was doing in Tampa. We wound up over in Italy, uh, met with these clients and investors, and then also met a gentleman by the name of um, Maximiliano Iba, who's a realtor out of uh, Monte Carlo and Milan and met with him in his office in Milan with his closing attorney. And we went through any number of different dynamics of how valuation works in the uh, European markets, where it's not so much about how tall the building is, how short the building is, whether it's um, retrofitted for an elevator or not, um, how close it is to the metro. It could be any combination of that, including what historical figure may have lived in the building that impacts the value. So again, this is just play for me. I, I get giddy. The more I discover about market areas and the things that influence value, because it always goes back to this idea, you wanna know the best acquisition value and after repair value, regardless of where you are in the world, even, I, oh gosh, even in Australia, the way they sell houses, it's almost like an auction style. I can go into that. But I really have enjoyed discovering these different components. Because you know what, Tim? At the end of the day, it still comes back to different things that you can apply in Detroit, in Baltimore, in Gary, Indiana, in Richmond, Virginia, in Tampa, Florida, even all the way back to Atlanta. It's, it's unique how there's always a different characteristic of every individual market area that drives it that you have to be aware of to be successful in those transactions. Yeah, and, and during all of that time, and and you know, you and I have had conversations all along the way. I've, I've actually never seen you kind of piece it together that way, which is really cool. But during that time, you were still building and growing investor comps. Yes. And your, uh, we'll call it your North America, your American portfolio. So, Tell us a little bit more, right? So you went from the valuation as being an appraiser mm -hmm. and then you started providing some data and then training and coaching. But also during that time, you were acquiring properties in in the States. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that. And then you and I are going to start veering into other directions and talk about, you know, some sure. fate things and also uh, the Iron Man. So let's let's. Uh, Tell us about investor comps, how that came to be and why, because you mentioned the all the appraisal there for a little while as you started traveling. And then we're going to go into a little bit of your portfolio before we move out of the real estate. Sure. Well, literally, um, I, I, I've repeated this, I've said a number of different times, but overwhelmingly, uh, timing is really unique. Uh, I will share that uh, after the... Um, activities that took place on 9-11 back in 2001, and some of the different practices that the Fed and uh, the, the administration at that time, lowering interest rates, it was a tremendous boon for my business as a real estate appraiser and owning an appraisal company. We, we started mm -hmm. out with six appraisers when I first got licensed, and then 
following that activity in the early 2000s and up until 2004, I marketed and then sold my appraisal company. At that time, we had 28 contractors, three licensed appraisers, and a good solid office staff. Well, of course, great time to sell, but now you've got a windfall and you got to go do something. You got to now what? You know, now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> well, you and I actually have been in conversation. You were doing a good bit of coaching, and one of the things that even in our one-on-one -on -one conversations was how do you take and apply this valuation information that's so very valuable and get it in the hands of budding novice experienced investors because just being able to you know rely on uh, an, uh, an agent that may not always be available to get access to MLS just wasn't working and through a little nudging a pushing so help from my wife uh, uh, cousins through marriage we went out and we developed what is now investor comps started as investor comps online back when the internet was kind of burgeoning you need to kind of say where you were but overwhelmingly doing that has allowed me to take the principles general principles that apply to valuation and do them in all the major market areas across the country as we got our message out we started getting clients I have a long time client that used to live in uh, pacific palisades california serve clients uh, in wasilla alaska hawaii uh, have served clients in all the middle America, Kansas, uh, Missouri, Texas, uh, certainly up and down the East Coast from Maine all the way down to Florida. And as you work with those students and see those different marketers, the types and styles of home, the construction, the age of the homes, uh, when you're dealing with different types of things that are related to plant material from the West to the middle of the country to the East Coast, what's drought tolerant, what's not drought tolerant, and will help a property get sold quicker uh, based on curb appeal than otherwise. Uh, I love some things about the Florida market where it's important to have a pool. It may be more important to have a pool with a lanai around it. If you don't, you're not going to be able to remarket it. So those are keep things the bugs I out. Got to keep those Got to keep those bugs out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a treat. Uh, even in uh, different markets where you need to have more of an A-frame on the roof line, when you talk about dealing with snow and stuff like that, or the aesthetic that it brings to the house when it comes time to sell it. Those are all different things that having students in different market areas, them submitting support tickets on investor comps, and I and my team being able to respond to them, just offers a wealth of layered and layered and layered knowledge base that you can then take and apply in real time today. Uh, we've then transitioned actually doing more of an engagement with some coaching and then holding events three times a year. We do them end of April. We do a nice gathering mastermind, more of a small personal setting in the middle of the summer. And then we do another event we refer to and really focus on foreclosure activity uh, in the last or around the last week of October. So very consistent in terms of the time of year and dates we do it. Let's just have a lot of fun continuing engaging and sharing this valuation first approach message through investor comps. And it's, it's been more than I could have ever dreamed of, Tim. It really is. Yeah, I know. And it's opened up a lot of doors for you to do some things we're about to get into. But one of the things I do want to mention is you've recently, with all that's going on, you would do events where, you know, there was one schedule that probably by the time this releases will already have occurred. We were all going to be in Palm Springs together. And with all this that's going on, yeah. 
had to had to call an audible and you know we're not sure what the future is going to look like but we might have to be flexible in the future but tell us a little bit about the audible we had to call you know it's it's really just shows this posture that you always want to be flexible and pliable and like so many other entities schools and businesses we transition to a virtual event and what's unique about what we're doing is we were scheduled for three days. Now we've shortened the time frame down, but we have so much content and we just refuse to short side our customers. We're still going four to three days and we're gonna just over deliver and add value to everyone that's been engaged. And we've had a wonderful transition with the registrations. And you know, Tim, the thing about it is it really sparks or sparks the interest of how much more of this can you do in what will be our new norm when it comes to education, learning, and, and getting information as compared to necessarily always holding a live event? I, I'm, I'm intrigued about what the fruit of this experience is going to be and then certainly how we carry it forward. Yeah. So for those listening, it could be that in the future, if you're listening to this podcast and, and I'm going to have you give the website so people can kind of check on things before I jump over to some other topics. Sure. But in the future, we could be meeting face to face because I'm going to be participating in your event, too, that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Or it could be virtual. It could be both. It could be <laughs> it could be a lot of things. So <laughs> anyway, I, I love that flexibility and. And listen, I know you have this mindset, too. It is my belief that there's going to be so many clever, there's going to be some tough things with an economy that we're entering into. There's no doubt. And listen, we know that there's some people that are going through sickness and loss of loved ones, and mm -hmm. that is not a good thing. Right. However, there are going to be people that come out of this with with ideas, inventions, new ways of doing business, and that flexibility is is key there. Why don't you just tell us where they find investor comps verbally for those that might be listening to this, yes. and then we'll move along and start having some other conversation about some other things. Absolutely. So we are uh, www.investorcomps.com, investorcomps.com. And like most websites, we have a gr really great menu across the top. You can click on events and see the activities that we're engaged in. And as always, Tim, there's never a wrong time to get in and get information. Uh, we do a wealth of on-demand training, some courses related to valuation, but also wholesaling real estate, identifying cash buyers in any market area using investor comps as a way to do that because we are subscription-based. We provide all the data that you're going to need on a month-to-month -month basis, as well as a support desk. So if you're having a challenge figuring out a value, looking at um, what type of transactions actually took place, whether they were arms length transactions in the neighborhood or around the property you're looking to buy or sell, or if they're more motivated sellers where there maybe was a foreclosure that took place or a short sale, maybe a trust sale, we really help you delve into that data just like I would as an appraiser working for the clients that were doing investment real estate for their maximum success. One, one little caveat is uh, I, I've always shared that overwhelmingly we've helped more investors make money on the deals that they decided not to do. It's the ones that would have caused them pain or for whatever reason, they probably would have wound up putting more capital into the project. They would have to sell for less and really just kind of minimize their gains. 
So the deals that they didn't do or that you that are listening don't do in the future, not being emotionally attached to a piece of property, utilizing a tool like investor comps and how we support you is really going to make a difference in your long-term success. Yeah, we'll include we'll include that link down in the notes if anyone wants to uh, click on that if they're on our site or if they're listening on any of the platforms that should be able to get to it. So, all right, very good. Excellent info on real estate. Thank you for sharing all that. We appreciate it. I'm going to pivot a little bit. And I think you know on this podcast, Mark, that we haven't shied away with, you know, how we've become who we are and mm -hmm. the struggles, victories and the, and the stories, the hero's journey. And, and I, I know you grew up, you're a Jersey guy, right? Didn't you grow up in Jersey? There you go. All right. I want to, I want to go back a little bit to oh that. And, and just for those folks listening in, I'm, we're going to kind of cap this off with discussion about one of the coolest things right now, which is his Iron Man and what he's doing. But I want to cover a few things to build up to that first. And the first thing I, as I want to do is I want to go back to Jersey and, and I, and I <laughs> want you to talk about, this is a question that I love to ask people because I think it gives us so much insight. Yeah. We are, you know, a sum total of people we're around, of obviously our, you know, parents and the way we were raised. All those things feed into it. What are some of the great things about where you grew up and how you were raised that that kind of built on and helped you become who you are today? And just to be prepared, I'm also going to ask, what are some things that were challenges and issues that you've had to overcome because of that, I'm not asking anybody to beat up on, you know, how they were raised or anything, but sure. I, I want us to learn from it. So share some things about those two items. Well, let's say first, uh, claim to fame, Neptune, New Jersey. I mean, I, I first met my wife and I told her I was from Neptune. She says, yeah, right. Men are from women. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. You're from <laughs> so Neptune. She didn't believe me. <laughs> but it was a great, a little town, one high school town. It's still a one high school town. And very nurturing, very wholesome, uh, just a just a wonderful place to grow up. Only a couple now of minutes it's, from it, it's small town Jersey. It's not like city yeah. Jersey, right? No, no. We are an hour from the New York, forty five minutes south of uh, Newark, about an hour north of Atlantic City, ninety minutes from Philly. So we had access and exposure to a lot, but not with the heavy urban population. Just you know, the place that you could put your bike outside overnight and it would still be there the next day the next week for goodness sake so that was one thing i really valued about the the place that our parents chose for us to grow up and i was very fortunate i did all my i, I did i did from first grade all the way graduate from high school uh in the one home that we were there in neptune it had lots of really good friends just finished celebrating a high school reunion stuff like that so just a real blessing. I guess the, the flip side of that to get to the other part was um, we did have some challenges in terms of means and exposure. My dad was um, a little bit older when he started his family, uh, born in 1918, served in World War II in the Merchant Marines, actually worked as a cook, honed his skill in that by reading books by James Beard and was very successful uh, engaging being a chef up and down the Jersey Shore, but never had the opportunity to gain a real financial education. And so that was a challenge in terms of um, how we were able to manage through our years. One of the other significant things that came up was we actually had a fire in our home when I was in 
sixth grade, I think it was. And that was really, a, it was a setback. Um, there were things where uh, we just didn't have enough resources to finish building the house, but yet we had to transition back into it. So we were in there and there wasn't even an occupancy certificate. So those are things that, you know, you were kids and it was an adventure, but it, it was challenging as well. Uh, after that fire, we had a number of different clothing items that were provided by neighbors. And it was another year and a half that I was still wearing those garments. And, you know, you're in middle school, junior high, stuff like that. And you got your buddy walk by, hey, man, I still remember that shirt. That, that was stuff I used to wear. Well, emotionally, that wasn't the most kind thing that <laughs> that, that classmate could have said or shared or whatever the case may be. So there are things that were foundational that I'm eternally grateful for where I grew up. But there were some things that were pretty challenging as well. You know, one of the things I think I've actually heard you tell the story about the house fire before. So to me, that's probably one of these catalytic events that we have in our lives because it I, I bet it's emblazoned in your memory, not good nor bad. It, it's just part of who you are. Mm -hmm. You, since we have met and known each other for 20 something years, in fact, we first met working together, working together, trying to work in a business that was a multi-level marketing business because we yeah. wanted to be successful, like, want to make money. Exactly. So go back a little bit to that event, Mark, if we can. Yeah. And tell me, did it cause a drive in you? Did you, I sometimes joke about the, the Gone with the Wind reference where Scarlett O'Hara says, as God is my witness, my witness. <laughs> I will never be hungry again. And I don't, I'm not comparing you at all to Scarlett O'Hara. Bad, bad reference there. But to, what kind of impact did it have on your because you've been very driven and listen we've all had ups and downs along the way but yeah but since i've known you you've always pushed yourself you've always gone above and beyond you've always gone the extra mile we've had a lot of discussions about this mm -hmm. is it, it did that event have something to do with it? are there other events are you trying to prove something or you not or you don't ever want to go back there talk to us about that because i i want to know in many ways what drives people yeah. You know, one of the things that was really unique about that time, we were rebuilding the house. Uh, my dad, unfortunately, fell off a ladder and broke his arm. And we, we had we only had a certain amount of material that we can engage in. Now, my dad learned carpentry from his father. He had five brothers. He was the only brother to learn carpentry. And my grandfather was actually a pastor as well. So you kind of put some things together there. And um, because those materials were precious, we couldn't afford to waste any. I can remember distinctly my dad telling me, look, cut twice, measure twice, cut once. Well, we were measuring four or five times, okay, just to make sure we got it right the first time. So even to today, one of the things that I try to coach and teach folks with is like, look, we only have, we only have so much bandwidth, and we want to make sure that we do things decent and in order the first time. Because if we don't have time, if, we're, if our time is, 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 is contracted already, how are we going to go back and duplicate something that we didn't have time to do the, the first time? So that's one thing that really sticks with me, that lesson. And it, it applies even to today. Now, I still have to balance it um, because I believe in it so much. I, I will admit sometimes I get frustrated when I see it happening or I have to repeat something because of, 
I've taught and trained a different dynamic and really given a lot of care, but maybe it's still on me to show uh, or, or demonstrate that it is so important to do things right the first time. You know, there's things that, now, now I'm not talking about perfection. There's lots of times where done is better than perfect because it, it, you just won't get, you won't, you know, you'll be kicking a can down the road. So there's a balance there, but overwhelmingly, that was one thing that I absolutely positively live in. Um, even when, it, you know, we're going to talk about Ironman training, you know, there's a number of hours that you absolutely positively have to put in. Um, and that's related to your family, your business, um, certainly your education, where the case may be. And because there's so many hours of going to that training, when the alarm goes off at five o'clock, you really don't have a choice. You got to get up and get it done because where are you going to find the time in the rest of the day to go get in a two hour bike ride? You got to do it first thing in the morning and get it done, get out of the way so that you don't have to come back and figure out how you could do it at two in the afternoon or at eight o'clock at night when you're trying to get rest for the next day to come. So there's dynamics that took place in that childhood that transform and are brought forward into my adult life in any number of different dynamics, whether it been uh, working in corporate, making a decision that I was ready to do a buyout and go get my education in real estate, even discovering um, the appraisal, buying my first home and how all that took place are any number of different dynamics that, that came out of that time in that childhood and making that transition. Kind of like, you know, those, those seminal moments, that, that thing with my dad being outside and measuring that side and going to home and doing it the right way the first time, each and every time has really been a fuel even to today. Yeah, I heard you say one time also, maybe I'm getting this correct, huh. that showing up on time was something that you can control. And I think that that was instilled oh, yeah. early on. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it, it, so Tim, <laughs> I, I did play hooky when I was in fifth grade. Oh, so now we get, oh, we're getting into some good stuff now. Come on now. <laughs> I played hooky when I was in fifth grade. Oh, and, boy. Uh, my, my dad uh, just, you know, my dad was one generation removed from slavery. So that mentality was about chastening. That's what the four overseer did. So, of course, so we chastened, you know, we chastened our, our children. And so my dad, when I played hooky, and that actually he didn't finish school because he played hooky. So, it was near and dear to his heart. I'm really going back now. So my dad came home and he called me downstairs. And he said, get like you came into the world. And so needless to say, I, I got a good one. And for the next, that was in fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever it was, until I graduated from high school, I had perfect attendance. I never missed a class, anything. And even in my adult life, I would break out into a cold sweat if I was late for something. And it wasn't until, you know, you studied Freud and, and understanding psychology that, okay, this was an event that is causing me to behave a certain way. So finally, I just went back to, I got exposed to the scout mentality again. It's like, look, if you're early, you're on time, but you got to plan for that as well. Um, and if you're, if you show up on time, you're late. And again, all about doing things decent in order. But I tell you, that butt cutting I got back in fifth grade from cutting playing hooky is one that stayed with me for a very, very, very long. I time. am I am not 
laughing at you as I'm chuckling here. I'm laughing with you, brother. Uh -huh. I'm laughing with you. That is some, <laughs> folks, we have just gotten some inside scoop on that because I've been around this man for a long time and I have never heard that story. He always mentioned <laughs> that it was instilled upon him. I didn't realize it was beaten into <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. All right. Well, we need, we need to get off of this and move on to something else. Cause there's some people right now that are upset about a lot of things. So we won't, we're not condoning uh, beatings or spankings or anything. We're just saying that's the way we were raised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm going to shift here a little bit before we start getting in trouble. You are in a very unique position that very few men experience. Ah. You are the husband of a minister. Yes. Yeah. And she is phenomenal. And, and I was around when you met her yeah. and, and I saw everything about you that was already really, really good, but I saw it move up. I don't know how many notches and yes. I was going, huh, yes. well, that's interesting. So yes. what's it, yes. what's it like being married to, uh, to pastor minister Lynn? You know, it's, it's, it's really, really unique and special. Lynn is a, a an amazing mind. Um, she is a woman of great character, very much a lady. Um, but there is a spirit that that just resonates inside of her that is hard to keep hidden. And over the course of our uh, marriage, uh, we were able to retire her. And uh, but there was something more that Lynn uh, wanted to do. And so there was, you know, literally there was like a voice calling her out of her sleep at night and as in most cases or some cases with those that are being called to ministry, they try to run from it initially. And so she really couldn't stay away. Um, decided uh, at conversation, we're actually in the United Methodist Church. So there's a methodology. You have to go back to, we have to go to seminary. Um, she was very fortunate to uh, have the capacity to do that. And uh, even as she was coming out of seminary three years later, immediately appointed as a senior pastor, we had to pack up and leave Atlanta in three weeks and moved to Denver, which was just a joy. If there's every place you had to move in three weeks, folks, Denver's a beautiful place to have to move to out in Colorado in the West. And we subsequently have since transitioned after being in Colorado for five years, we're now in the Salt Lake City market at, at a wonderful congregation here in Sandy, Utah. And even the being able to shift, um, being a, a supportive spouse in this uh, ministry walk and faith walk. Uh, when we had to transition and go to streaming services, we, you know, as good partners, we just said Friday, we made a decision. Okay. The word came down. We can't go and gather people and worship, but we're still going to make sure that the worship gets to the people and jump right in on Sunday morning and got it done. And it's just been a wonderful walk. Even from when we first got started at it um, for her going to seminary and supporting her in that effort to today and even what's going to come forward in the future. It, it, it is an absolute joy. It really, really is. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of, I'll say norms in society, fixed mindsets, whatever we could say a lot of things, but, but many times we hear that one of the toughest things to be is the wife of a pastor or a minister or the child. We hear, we hear that from children a lot too. Sure. So, I'm, we're flipping it a little bit here. 
is it tough being the husband of a minister? <laughs> and and I don't want to get into any you know down and dirty stuff here, but ha- I mean, there's, I mean, there's got to be some awesome things to it. And you 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 always have a positive mindset about things, sure, but sure, sure. but I'm sure some people walk in the door like first time and they look and they think you're the pastor. No, she's the pastor, and so. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. It definitely does. Um, but I mean, you know, listen, we we know she's smarter. I do. I know she is. Yeah. So anyway, that's not a doubt. But but anyway, no, so Lynn, Lynn has a very uh, she knows who she's who she is and who she is. And uh, when those things come, I mean, frankly, it could be irritating. But in the moment you engage and you just guide a person to uh to the right frame of uh of what the circumstances actually are and uh she has just great grace and character to be able to deal with what would be considered some of these norms and i'm always right there to say there's your pastor yeah yeah so how how important is obviously if someone's married to a pastor they have to have a strong faith and i know your faith everything about our relationship has always always revolved really primarily around our faith, but mm-hmm. tell our listener how important your faith has been and specifically overcoming struggles and succeeding. Tell us, mm-hmm. tell us how that's played a part in that. Well, you know, there's different phrasings out there. And one of the things I like to think that not always, but most times, uh, Dr. King said that demonstration of your faith is taking the first step, even when you can't see the staircase. And from a individual family dynamic, or even that of being an entrepreneur. You know, these things that we envision that we want to accomplish, whether it's from a service perspective, or even in terms of the organization we want to build, it is all about taking a significant faith walk. Um, Back in Christmas of 1998, when I was like, look, I am leaving corporate America, I'm going to go become an appraiser. And it was only through faith and divide because I didn't even know what an appraiser did, got paid. <laughs> but I just felt as though I could do it. And the windows that have been opened, the opportunities that have come since that time, they're just, in, I can't begin to describe the dynamics and the blessings that have come from it. The hard work as well, uh, you know, too much is given, much is expected. But it's really been a joy to witness what taking a faith walk years ago and and ongoing today continues to bring forward. Uh, You know, even in terms of uh, the the relationship and the dynamic of our marriage that my wife is a pastor. Uh, Granted, it really does enhance. If I wasn't being accountable already, you better believe. It's one of those things where overwhelmingly, I want to make sure that all the actions and things that I express and share certainly are ones that bring honor and glory, not only to the higher power that we believe in, but certainly my lovely bride. That is for sure. Yeah, that's good. Well, you definitely tell her that that uh, Tim and Glory said hello and thank her for allowing you the time to to spend with us here. Now, one of the things, all the success that you have had Mm. leading up to the last few years is that it's allowed you to embark on some, I won't call them hobbies. I'll call them ambitious goals, things that you had a desire to master. 
and and golf was one of those. I'm going to have you say a little bit about that and what you've been able to do there. Yeah. And then that led up to this, this, truthfully, I thought you were nuts when I heard you say this, the whole Ironman thing. I was like, the golf thing I could dig because at the time I think I was living in a golf course community and you and I were doing some golfing yeah. together and you were going to, you know, work towards maybe doing some things on the tour and different things like that. But sure. let's start with golf and then we'll get into the crazy Iron Man first. Give us a little bit about the golf. And I want you to share with us kind of the doors that's opened up for you to play. Oh, you don't go down and play on the municipal course down no. in, uh, you know, on Shadydale. <laughs> <laughs> now, golf is something that I never picked up a club until I was 26 years old. But uh, like, like those things that you do for the first time, you just fall in love with them and have just continued to pursue it even while raising a family, stuff like that. And overwhelmingly over time, you still want to be in a situation where you're good at something, not just uh, you know, out there you know, chunking up grass and stuff like that. So uh, I, I pursued it and have done so by taking lessons and buying good equipment. But then you, you, get in, you discover that golf allows you to be in this amazing setting where you're filled and surround surrounded by God's glory, whether it be the grasses, the types of trees, the foliage, the different types of squirrel monkeys or deer that you may see. And, and that changes based on where you are in the world. I've had the very good fortune to play in Swaziland, Africa, where it wasn't squirrel monkeys, it was monkey squirrels. Uh, and, um, and, and playing in Europe, I've had the great fortune to uh, not only play the old course, but be invited to be a member of the new club formerly founded by, originally founded by old Tom Morris and the history that goes along with that. Um, the opportunity to engage with clients and play golf in Australia. And if I keep going, what I'm basically gonna show you is that I've had the good fortune to play on six continents around the world. Just one, have the opportunity to engage and do business, but meet people and see these most amazing places. So much so that we have a secondary business that does nothing but host people going to the golf majors. We've taken folks several years to the masters for a full week, um, staying in a house with all the hospitality you can experience. And then because I've been so many times, I'm able to walk folks around to the 12th hole. But then once we've seen the tournament there, I've been able to get them. So we put some chairs up on the 10th. Uh, the putting green behind the 10th hole. And we've had the good fortune to sit and witness the entire green jacket ceremony. I've got clients, we take them to the old course in St. Andrews so they can experience what it's like to be at the home of golf, which we'll be doing that in 2021 for the 150th open. So golf has been something that was one, uh, uh, just the opportunity to go play and be in a setting, but then discover the beauty of it and what it really means to walk in, in and amongst God's presence. But then you could also take it and really enjoy it on an international level as well. Uh, and that's all been a result. The time, the resources, the capacity, the relationships have come out of the things that I've done in real estate. But of course now, I really believe that whatever we do now shows up 10 years from now and then 10 years from now. And I have this really burning desire, having remarried, I have this wonderful desire, I wanna celebrate my 50th wedding anniversary. Well, I remarried at 42, so I got a little ways to go. 
but there's some things that if I'm going to get there, I had to do uh, both uh, to stimulate both mental capacity, but also physical capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoy swimming. I was a swimmer in high school and college, and that's just like, you know, they say it's like water on a duck's back. Filming the water, I'm just the happiest I possibly can be. And I uh, discovered bike, biking or cycling about 20 oh, some years ago and just really enjoy that. You know, the same legs and muscles that you use for that kicking and stuff transverse really well to the bicycle. Now, I do not like running. It is just yeah. not one of my... <laughs> It's not one of my favorite things. When I heard, heard, it's like, oh, man. First of all, I want to say what a bummer about the Masters this year. I'm hopeful that they do it in November, but that changed We're already booked. We're already booked. We're going. Cool. Let's hope hope we get to have people there because I know you want those pimento cheese sandwiches and all there. This is true. This is true. but, But when you started talking about Iron Man. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I, I knew you and new skill sets because, see, I'm more lean towards the running, but the biking and the swimming's tough. Had we been able to do it together, what a team we would have been. But, but anyway, so, so you, go, you start easing into this. You want to live long and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, man, Iron Man sounds like it'll kill you earlier as opposed to long living. But um, first of all, before you get into what it is, yes. I want you to. I mean, to, to, to get into how you came about, I want you to real quick tell people, because there are people that don't know what an Ironman is. Nah. What is it? They might have heard the terms, but they Charm. don't understand yeah. the magnitude of how ugly this thing is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is a triathlon, a triathlon event. So it is swimming, yes. biking, and then running. And so the Ironman is one that was established in 1978, had a some people get together. They wanted to see which was the better athlete, the swimmer, the biker, runner. So they just kind of mashed them all together. Well, it is a 2.4 mile swim in open water, a 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon on the end of that. And you have to do them all together and you have a maximum of 17 hours to complete the whole thing. That is an Ironman. <laughs> It's like a whole day of just doing stuff. Exactly. It's, I mean, just go and go and go. But I will tell you, um, like anything else, uh, when you, when you choose that vehicle that you think or that you know or believe is going to be that thing that sustains you over time. Uh, I, I truly love, I mean, love swimming. I truly love bike riding and I'm learning to love to run. And I, again, because of some of the dynamics that maybe came out of my youth, stuff like that, I, I never did, other than high school and college, I never did any other competitive swimming. I, I've never competitively rode in a bike race, and I certainly did not go do any running. And so when I was coming into this dynamic of pursuing triathlon, I didn't, you know, break my way into it. I just signed up for an Ironman, the whole thing and went for it. So (laughs) what was the, what was the, what was the length of time? I mean, because that is not, it shouldn't be something that one rolls out of bed and says, I'm going to do an Ironman this weekend. Give us a little bit of the lead time. We're not going to get into all the gory details of the training, but just a little bit of lead time and maybe just some general training idea of what it takes as you're heading into that event. Sure. Well, essentially, I had about a five-month run-up. I, I joined a team 
in late fall of 2016. Uh, they have a coach who just kind of puts you on a program. So actually started training day, uh, my birthday. So December 26, 2016, had about five and a half month run up to get the training done. The first race was June 11th, 2017. And Fortune was very successful to complete, to compete that, compete in that race and complete it and be called an Ironman and have done five in that time frame. Uh, you can see it over my shoulder, but overwhelmingly, um, you swim, you bike and you run a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure there's some strategy to it. And you had a coach that's important. You and I are real big believers in coaches and yes, we yes. are them and we have them and, 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 and then there's a, I guess, a certain degree of maintaining and preparation and, mm -hmm. yeah. and yeah, I mean, there's, there's some, definitely some dietary things you want to do. And there's a buildup. Um, you actually start out, you know, just kind of swimming some laps and then, um, that transitions into taking those laps and doing longer extended swims in the pool. Um, you know, you go from doing, maybe doing 20 lap segments to 60 lap segments to 120 lap segments. And again, that's continuous, just nonstop back and forth, back and forth. And it gives you a lot of time to think. Um, I, that was some of the best time because I could think about my family. I, I would say prayers. I'd be in just, just wonderful space of meditation uh, while I was still counting laps. But it's a wonderful space to be in. Same thing on the bike. I can't tell you how many audiobooks, the university of education, I was able to pour into myself going for three and four hour bike rides on the weekend. Those were some times extended to about seven hours. Uh, just wonderful engagement. Uh, it really helped me transition my body um, overwhelmingly, you know, obviously losing a little weight, but getting leaner in terms of just not losing weight, but also transition, transforming, uh, losing inches, things of that nature. And then the running, same thing, just really allow for great lung capacity. Um, again, good place to have some pods in, listening, uh, working on different projects. I mean, I got education on finance. I got education on additional real estate tax. I got education on um, thought processes, how to be a better leader. Um, and then also, you know, there's times where you just listen to some real good gospel or spiritual music that really kind of keeps you going, believing that you can accomplish what you set out to do. So sure. uh, it's really transformed what, what I thought I was into what not only I've become, but what I also believe other people can engage in just this idea of awakening every single day realizing that if you know who you are and you can get out of the bed then that's those are some huge wins right there um, it, that we it, can accomplish anything iron man real estate uh raising a family being a good spouse sibling uh loving on our parents anything is possible that we want to engage in it does take some focus and we we have to be intentionally focused on the things that we want to go forward to. Um, we do have to strengthen our mind and our body every single day. Um, protect, uh, Tim, I love that phrasing. I, I repeat this over again. We protect your eye gate and your ear gate from what's coming in and only allowing what's really going to be life-giving to you. And then whatever it is we're going to do, we want to go execute with excellence. No, no, no shortcuts. Be intentionally focused strengthen your mind and body, and then go execute. Fulfill those things that are desires of your heart. And from there uh, became this concept of arise to live, awaken with gratitude, realize anything is possible, have intentional focus, strengthen your mind and your body 
and then go execute with excellence. Arise to live is what we all can do to achieve the great desires of our hearts, those things that we thought were possible that we can now bring to fruition when we go about it in a very simple five strategies for ultimate success and glory in life. Yeah, that's good. I know you actually led right into what I was about to ask about, which is kind of what's next, because I know we're winding down here. I've got a couple questions as we wrap. Yes. But I wanted to ask, and it, and it may be that you had a book in you, that might be what you learned, but what what is something, kind of peel back a little bit, what is something you learned about Mark during this Ironman process that you did not know beforehand? Because you've always been driven. You've always attacked things and gone after them. But tell me one thing that you learned that you did not know before you started the Ironman process. Well, I think it really starts with the awakening every single day with gratitude. There were a lot of stuff in my life that I took for granted. Uh, whether I thought it was just of my own will or, you know, whatever, I, whatever comes to mind, I'm just going to go after whatever the case may be. But I developed, uh, and I share this with folks, there's so much that we have to be grateful for that it, and on a daily basis, we really don't acknowledge. Um, and it's something as simple as that. I, I would get up every day to go jump in a pool, get up and go ride or, or, or be ready to go run as well as you know function in my business and maintain my family but man i took it for granted where was the gratitude for the grace and the mercy that exhibits that was exhibited each and every day and that was a real reality check that for as much as i believe and have faith that things will come to fruition i wasn't demonstrating or even acknowledging or aware of how grateful I needed to be on a literally on a daily basis. And so I can't I can't begin to describe that realization of what it meant for me. And now how much I, I love sharing that with folks to just step back and look at how much you have to be grateful for regardless of your circumstances. There's a quick story um, that even that goes back a number of years that really brings us forward because I had a very good friend. Unfortunately, his vehicle while he was driving was struck by an ambulance. And again, working in real estate, so my schedule was a little bit fluid uh, in my appraisal company. And he was actually my CPA. I would go to the hospital almost every day and visit with him. The really, the really unique thing about it, this guy had such soft feet. And the doctor was saying, this is, you want to have that physical touch. So I would massage this good friend's feet. And, um, mm. and then visit with him. And it was, you know, it came back out afterwards. So we're, he, he, I think I'm even more endeared to him now than before when we were just doing business together because, you know, of being there. But what I realized I was running a business, it was struggling, I was still doing teaching. I had some frustrations uh, in engaging and running that business. But what I realized is that I had no issues whatsoever compared to my friend who at the moment had no idea where they were. And it gives you a different perspective. And when I come forward to, you know, being engaged and going through the process, yeah, successfully doing the Ironman and what it meant for, you know, what it meant for to demonstrate the freedom of lifestyle to be able to choose to take 15 hours a week to go work out to get to this goal. But rediscovering how grateful I should be to be in that position in the first place. And you know that message right now, Mark, 
it's always powerful. But the time that we're in right now, just again, when we're recording this, I'm not sure when people are going to listen, mm. I think is more powerful than ever. So I appreciate you sharing that. That is a great way for us to, I believe, wrap this conversation. However, before I do, I've got a couple of quick questions for you. Sure. That that whole message that you were able to get from this process, this kind of helped you fine tune those five steps is is going to be a book and we may get you back on later as the book gets closer to being yes. released it is a little ways down but i like to ask people what's next you know what's what's coming up for them and to me i believe you need to tell us just briefly you've already given us some points and some information but tell us what we can expect from this book and when we think this might be out i'm putting you on the spot a little bit so that they can be watching for it. And we'll include links so that people can keep in touch with you in the show notes. But but what's next for you? And, and tell us a little bit more about the book. You know, I'm really excited about the Arise to Live concept because it did evolve out of uh, being engaged in real estate and uh, doing the, com the competitive pushing forward of the Ironman and what that, what that means and resonates for so many people because real estate gave me the freedom and lifestyle to go to do the things that, I wanted to do. And that's a lot of what all of us want to accomplish. We want to get that self-actualization, but we've got to create a foundation of safety and security first. And that's where the wonderful advent of the passive and active income that comes from real estate allows us to do, especially when we take that valuation first approach. So we're looking at the end of this year. We're in editing phase right now. There's going to be some wonderful components uh, to it. We're going to have a five by five calendar that helps you get engaged and develop the practice of doing a rise to live. We've got a wonderful devotional and actually workbook that's going to be going along with it and some other tools. So again, doing all things decent in order, going to roll it out the right way so it can really touch a number of lives. What will prayerfully be in a very, very broad fashion, not just domestically, but internationally as well. Yeah, excellent. And I, I, I believe we've had this discussion. I believe your timing is going to be perfect. I believe that there are going to be people that need to hear that message at that time, later part of this 2020. And and because there's there's going to be a lot that's going to be coming out of this season that the world is in. And mm -hmm. I think that's a message that's going to be important. You and I could speak for days. Yes. However, <laughs> we also have a lot going on and I know other people do. So we're going to, we're going to wrap this. And we got one more question for you before I put a wrap on this. Yes. And what we'll do is just commit to, to coming back on. And so that we can maybe go directly into just the arise to live and really break down all the points that are involved with that. But mm -hmm. the title of this podcast, Mark is seek, go create those three words yes and what i wanted to ask i love to ask this question which one of those words i'm going to pin you down which one of those words jumps out jumps out at you and why yeah i love the uh the concept when he first shared with me it was just amazing to sit, to put those three together but i'm really big on go there's so many things that uh, in this life that maybe we put off to the side we have a, a vision on and we don't act on them and uh, there's this thing called a bank assessment. And one of the things that I really, really believe in is, is going after the things that are desires of your heart, those concepts, those ideas. So go resonates with me very, 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 very well. Uh, whether it would have been in my life in terms of um, 
going after swimming or uh, getting into the food industry or transitioning and becoming an entrepreneur or seeing that appraisal, buying the first home and deciding eventually to become an appraiser or starting investor comps and then all the successive things that come from that. I resonate with that word, go. Go after the desires of your heart and bring them to fruition. That, that, that's what gets that's what sings to my heart. I, I'm sure that's coming through in my smile and in my emotion. I love it. I love asking that question. And boy, I've gotten some good things from it. Mark, MJ, Jackson, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we've done a number of podcasts. You and I have known each other for longer than anyone I've spoken, you know, spoken to on the podcast. I am so thankful that we were able to get this on the calendar. Thank yeah. you. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Oh, thank you, Tim. Thanks to my team that was able to put it together. Um, I, there's so many things that, get, that happened that literally without them, I, I wouldn't be in the position I am to go and enjoy life and, and touch other people. So thank you. I really look forward to coming back together. And obviously, we'll get opportunity to reciprocate somewhere down the line as well. Hey, amen. Absolutely. If you would like to continue the conversation, we encourage and welcome you to do that. Go to seekgocreate.com, that's seekgocreate.com, to comment on this episode, ask questions. I'll make sure they get to Mark if you've got comments, thoughts, or you could contact us there via email or the Contact Us page. You can also find us and communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those places we are Seek Go Create. You could comment, post questions, continue the conversation. We want to continue having this conversation with you. Thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.